if you'll turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. And we're going to be reading Jeremiah chapter 44 in its entirety. We have already studied Jeremiah 45. We did that out of order. And so I'm very tempted to go into chapter 46 as well, but we are not going to do that this morning. Chapter 44 of Jeremiah. I'll be reading out the New King James Version. Follow along with me in your Bibles as we hear the word of the Lord. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdal, at Tophanes, at Noph, and in the country of Pathros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the calamity that I brought on Jerusalem and on all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day they are desolation, and no one dwells in them. Because of their wickedness, which they committed to provoke me to anger, in that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods, whom they did not know, they nor you nor your fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate as it is this day. Now therefore, thus says the Lord God, I'm sorry, says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, child and infant, out of Judah, leaving none to remain? In that you provoke me to wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have gone to dwell, that you may cut yourselves off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, and the wickedness of their wives, your own wickedness and the wickedness of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for catastrophe and for cutting off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. They shall die by, from the least to the greatest by the sword and by famine, and they shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. For I will punish those who, have, who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive, lest they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell. For none shall return except those who escape. Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods, with all the women who stood by, a great multitude, and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt in Pathros, Answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth, to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven, and pour out drink offerings to her, as we have done, we... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and our fathers, our kings, and our princes... 
in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For them we had plenty of food <coughs> and were well off and saw no trouble. Thank you. Let's back up to their response to God. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food, were well off, and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. The women also said, And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? Then Jeremiah spoke to all the people, the men, the women, and all the people who had given him that answer, saying, The incense that you burn in the streets of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your princes, and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them? And did it not come into his mind? So the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you committed. Therefore your land is a desolation and an astonishment, a curse and without an inhabitant as it is this day. Because you have burned incense and because you have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in his law, in his statutes or in his testimonies, therefore this calamity has happened to you as at this day. Moreover, Jeremiah said to all the people and to all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. Therefore hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God lives. Behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end of, to them. Yet a small number who escape of the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah. And all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. And this shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, that you may know that my words shall surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh, Hophra, king of Egypt, in the hand of his enemies, and in the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. We're not quite done with our song service. As I was studying this chapter, one song kept coming to my mind. It was a song I learned as a child. I don't hear it sung by children these days. Probably needs to be added to our uh, Word of Life repertoire of songs. When I was uh, preaching at camp ministries, um, that was one of my favorite songs, and it would be the focus of a series of messages that I preached in different camps around the country. And it uh, 
has a lot to do with what was going on in, among the Israelites in Egypt. And it's a very simple little song. It says, says be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. And it goes through the eyes, your ears, what you hear, your mouth, what you say, your hands, what you do, and your feet, where you go. How many of you are familiar with that little tune? Well, that's pretty good, actually. Um, it needs to be sung a little bit more often and with understanding. We're going to sing it a little bit later on today. Um, as you can do it with understanding of our text. So we're going to not close with that, but we're going to sing it probably somewhere through the midst of the sermon. Um, but it gives us pause to remember that none of what you say, none of what you look at, listen to, go, or do, is missed by God. None of it passes with him unaware. And that can be a two-edged sword. Depending upon what you're looking at, where you're going, what you're doing, what you're listening to, and what you're saying. It can either be a source of great encouragement and strength to know that the Lord is attentive to your life. Or it could be a frightening thing when you think that the Lord is attentive to your life, depending upon what you're doing. And here we have a prophet confronting his people, what's left of them, with that fact. And we find them foolishly Ignoring that our God is not made out of stone. Our God is not fashioned by man at all, but rather he is the one who fashioned man. And they have lost track that their God is not dumb and deaf and blind. Baal, dumb, deaf, blind. All the other idols, dumb, deaf, blind, but not our God. And they've forgotten that. And I fear that many times we run the same gambit in our life of thinking that somehow we can rationalize ourselves and that God is not attentive to those rationalizations, the foolishness of them that lead us into offending him and going from one offense to even greater offense in our life. And so today God is going to Say, I'll prove it to you. You want to open your mouth, and I'll open my mouth, and let's see what happens. And that's what Israel and the land of Egypt is about to be confronted with this morning. Before we look at that, let's go, Lord, in prayer together. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for your word. And we pray that uh, it might have its impact upon us. It failed to be allowed to penetrate those hearts in that day. But Lord, our thought is that we would be of a different heart. And so Lord, we want to be sensitive. We want to be malleable in your hands. 
We want to be attentive and listening to your voice. And we pray you might give us that wisdom to listen today. We commit ourselves to this task and pray for your help, for we're not up to it, to speak your word nor to hear it. And so we pray for your spirit to be a very active agent in this time together in your word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we really already studied last week the circumstances surrounding what was going on there in Egypt, and we very quickly ended last Sunday by talking about how they went from the disobedience of just not staying where they were supposed to be to the point of reversion all the way back to the most wicked forms of evil that got Jerusalem into trouble. Uh, They have reverted back to that. And I referenced it very quickly at the end last week. And of course, it falls right in the middle of our chapter um, that we have before us this week. And so we're going to certainly address that But we find that God, at both ends of this, he is sending Jeremiah to rehearse really a message that we've become very familiar with. Um, These themes and terms and turn of phrases, by the time we get to this point in Jeremiah, we have heard them over and over and over again because he spoke them in Jerusalem all the time. I have sent my prophets rising early and going late. I've sent them and you haven't listened. And, And he goes through and rehearses all their sin he rehearses how he's dealt with them. He's rehearsed about the historical nature of that sin, that it just has grown worse to worse uh, from your fathers, your forefathers, and now you. And, and we also have the reference to their wives that we're going to look at as well. That all of this has provoked God to anger. Um, <clears throat> that Those are all terms that we heard before. We even have heard the declaration that you're going to die by sword, by famine, by pestilence. Nothing new in what Jeremiah has to say from the Lord. It is repetitious, and for 40-some years, he has been saying the same thing. (laughs) Nothing new. Uh, We have, in America, an insatiable appetite for something that we think is new or different. Um, And it has just grown worse and worse. And I I guess you get older, you start seeing it. um, And we just want something fresh and new all the time. Uh, we can't imagine eating the same food for every day for a week in this country, when in most countries they eat it every day for their, all their life, the same food. So when I go down to our father's house, orphanage in Haiti, it's rice every day. Without fail, there's rice every day. And you and I would go, oh, we couldn't do that, couldn't possibly do that. Because we have, a, we have been trained to have an insatiable appetite for new and different. And so we want that on Sunday mornings too. We think there should be something new and different and, and unique. And churches are trying to accommodate you with drama and, and entertainment. And, and sometimes I get caught in that too. And I say, well, I can't just give them the same Christmas message year after year after year. And I'm like, why not? It's a good one. <laughs> uh, but we have this insatiable appetite for more, for different, for new. I want to hear something I've never heard before. And I want to challenge you a little bit on this because, not just because there's a lot of repetition in the book of Jeremiah, but because of what Paul tells Timothy about what people are going to be like in the church in the end days. What are they going to be wanting? They're going to be wanting to heap up for themselves preachers 
who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Now we often think, well, that means they're self-serving things is what they want to hear. But what it really is, they want their ears titillated. That's a whole, that, if you want to put it in, in more, instead of the itching ears, um, they, they want to, oh, I want to hear something I never heard before. Uh, in some way I've never heard before. I don't want to hear the same thing over and over again. And uh, we lose track of the value of the old hymns, sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let's just rehearse the message and rehearse it. And when you look back uh, to the early years, to some of the great awakening period in this nation, and, and you hear about these men's sermons, and you say, oh, they brought great revival, and, and uh, wow, what it would have been like to hear those guys preach. Uh, Jonathan Edwards and others, and then you do a little research and you find out they preach the same message every week for months. So you got to church and you know the entire text because it was read to you last Sunday and it's going to be read to you next Sunday and it's going to be read to you this Sunday. And yes, they read them. Sinners in the hands of angry God, he read it. There was a full expectation and he would go and read that Sunday after Sunday. Uh, and, and in the midst of that, it penetrated and penetrated. But we are so quick to forget and so quick to look for something different and new. And we get caught in the trap of thinking that, oh, I've heard this before, I don't have to pay attention. All of these Israelites heard this message before. Lots of times. This is at the very end of Jeremiah's ministry. In fact, this chapter really is the conclusion of the book of Jeremiah um, in, in your Orthodox uh, traditional uh, study Bible. This is going to be almost the end um, simply because this is the end. Chronologically, this is the end of Jeremiah's ministry. The rest of the chapters are going to go back chronologically. We're going to go back into the time of Jehoiachin. We're going to go back in a time of, of other periods, and we're going to go back to the fall of Jerusalem at the last chapter. So this is chronologically the end. So he is finishing his ministry here, really. Chronologically, he is at his oldest that we're going to find him preaching in this book. These are the last words he has for Israel, and uh, He's preached it and preached it and preached it over and over and over and over again. And all these phrases, all of these thoughts, all of these principles, we are well aware of. And it is easy to turn a disdaining ear to it because of our familiarity with it. And so it was with Israel in the day. And so I beg you to have a different spirit about you to recognize that I need to be attentive, not just today because it's pastor's sermon, but every day to the principles he's laid out. And they are simple, but they need to be restored. They need to be rehearsed. They need to be re-meditated upon every day. The same principles that God calls you to today, today, today. That I must live for him, that he has expectations, and that there are requirements for me to call myself by his name, to consider myself his child. I need to obey him every day, even if it's mundane. Even if it's the same every day. Every day. The food needs to be prepared. 
Every week, the trash needs to be taken out. Every month, the bill needs to be paid. And every hour, we need to think on our Lord. What does he require of me? And so we come to the first third of this chapter, and we say, well, I've heard all of this before, and you're right. But God is coming with a question mark. At the end of all his work through all the prophets, now Jeremiah, in his very old age now, uh, comes to them with a question mark. Why? Why do you persist? If you know this message so well, you've heard it so often, why is there no difference? And he asks the question in this form, in verse 7, why do you commit this great evil? Why do you do this? You've heard all of this before. I've shared it and shared it and shared it. Why are you going back and reverting to worse evil for some of them than before? We talked about last week that they had a fear of an enemy, the wrong enemy, and they were so afraid that they couldn't bring themselves to obey God. But now that they're in Egypt and they didn't stay put where God wanted them, they ran away to where they thought they could be safe. Um, they, they used their reasoning instead of their obedience to the prophet of God. And so we find them uh, in this quote-unquote safe place, which isn't safe at all, um, and we find them reverting. And where their feet take them, what happens? They go from being a place where they could be blessed, cared for, have God's mercy and grace, protection and care, provision and, and supply, where his abundance could be at their hand. If they just obey, they take their little feet and they run to Egypt. And what do they do when they get down to Egypt? Do they say, we're going to serve the Lord here? No, because you can't serve the Lord in Egypt when he says, stay in Judah. You just can't do it. And we come to verse 8. and I'm not done with verse 7, but we come to verse 8. And hopefully you'll see the progression of what I'm getting at. You provoke me to wrath with the works of your hands. They run down to Egypt, take their little feet, run down to Egypt because they know where they should be better than God knows where they should be. And when they get down there, instead of being constructive or doing anything right with their hands, because they've already put themselves in an act of disobedience against God, it then takes over their hands and it moves from their feet to their hands. And now their hands, instead of finding good to do, which is what God wanted them to do in the land of Judah. Remember, go out there and plant your fields. Grow your vineyards. Reap your harvests. This is what your hands will find to do in the land. You won't have to have war because I will protect you. You don't have to worry about the Babylonians. I've got Nebuchadnezzar taken care of. We don't even know if by now he's eating grass like an ox and Daniel's in charge. We don't know what's going on in Babylon during this period of time exactly. But he says, don't worry about that. Put your hands to the work that I have for you in the land and you'll be blessed and it'll, it'll produce for you. But now they go down, they take their little feet and they run down to Egypt and they're putting their hands to do evil. And they should have been serving the Lord by engaging themselves in the land to benefit the land. 
they are with the works of their hand burning incense to other gods. And I want you to notice in both verse 7 and verse 8, he reiterates something, and that is this sin and evil is against yourself. Verse 7, you commit this evil against yourselves. In verse 8, it says at the end of the verse that you may cut yourselves off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth. It says you've done this to yourself. You are bringing injury to yourself. You've known better. You have seen what's happened. He's going to rehearse again what happened in Jerusalem, don't you? It's a wasteland because they didn't listen and you who knew it and made a declaration, we'll do whatever you say as long as you tell us to do what we wanted to do to begin with. And I'll run around until I find someone that tells me what I want to hear instead of what I need to hear from the Lord. And that's a prevailing attitude today among Christians, not just in this country, but around the world. Um, And we find out that the evil that we're perpetrating isn't really against God. We're not going to do him injury. It's really against yourself. Because now you are trading his blessing for his curse. You are trading his provision with his destruction. You are trading his love, for his benevolence for his wrath. You're doing this to yourselves. You took, with your own little feet, left Judah and went down to Egypt. With your own little hands, you didn't go out there and work in the fields of your, of your homeland. You ran down to Egypt and you used those hands, because you didn't own the fields down there, you used those hands to do wickedness, offering incense up and refashioning. Remember, they had to build new idols. So they're out there carving their new idols, the queen of heaven. They're fashioning new altars. That didn't happen overnight. It didn't just appear. They didn't just drop from the sky. That's what they put their hands to doing. They put their minds to thinking irrationally that, you know what, we should have never stopped sacrificing to the Queen of Heaven. Well, you never really did. God forced you to stop because you ran out of food to sacrifice. You ran out of incense to burn because you were under siege from the Babylonians. You never really stopped. But in their mind, they had reworked all of history. It doesn't take generations to do that. I love hearing historians try to rewrite history from even the forming of this nation and the Civil War and, and rewriting those things. And even World War I and II at this point, they're rewriting that history a little bit, uh, what was really going on, like we know better today than they did the people that lived through it, um, who wrote down a history of what was going on. Oh, we know better today what was going on. And so we reinterpret history. Well, it doesn't take long to reinterpret history. They are reinterpreting the history that happened a few months earlier. And now, instead of saying, oh, the only reason we stopped sacrificing the Queen of Heaven was because um, we were under siege and there was no way to do it. No, they were thinking in their mind, no, we stopped sacrificing the Queen of Heaven and then the siege happened. But that's not the order of what happened. And they have reworked history to make provision for themselves to do evil. They had engaged their feet to disobey, their hands to doing evil, their minds to rewriting history and making God evil and the queen of heaven benevolent. But we're not done.
Verse 10, it says, They have not humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or my statutes that I set before them and your fathers. And so here comes catastrophe. And again, the same terminology. You're going to be destroyed by sword, by famine. You're going to be astonishment, a curse. All this you have brought upon yourself. Verse 13, For I'll punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem. It's going to be exactly the same. In fact, I'm even going to use the same instrument. I'm going to use Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to come down with his army from Babylon, and you think that he can't stretch himself this far south. You are wrong. I will bring him down here in this courtyard. I remember last week. And so now the response. So God puts it out there and asks the question. And so he's going to let them answer. He asks the question, why? And he asks the question, have you forgotten history. And the answer is, they're going to answer the first one and the second one. The first one they're going to answer says, well, we're, we rewrote history to suit our own interests. God said, you were doing evil in Jerusalem and you invoked me to wrath and I destroyed it. Don't you remember? Have you forgotten? It was only a few months ago. And they come back and say, oh, that's not how we remember it happening. We remember it the other way around. And they reverse history to suit their own interests. And then as to the question of why, well, we think, we, we want to credit the Queen of Heaven with all of our blessings that we've ever received. And so now we find in verse 17, their response to his questions are, but we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth. And we find out later in the chapter that they had taken a vow. Now tonight, um, this is going to be Sunday of the mouth, okay? Um, tonight, we're going to talk about Jephthah's vow. When we, as we're going through the book of Judges, and we're looking at Jephthah, we're going through the Judges, and we just look at Jephthah. So we're going to talk about vows a lot tonight, but I'm going to have to discuss it today. Because they say, um, well... We ran with our little feet down to Egypt. We put our hands to work to refashion the idols and the altars to the queen of heaven. Uh, interesting term that is repeated by John in the book of Revelation. This is the harlot that rides the beast. Uh, the beast that transcends one nation and is all the empires. It goes all the way back to um, Egypt and extends all the way to the United States. Um, and uh, that is the, the queen of heaven. And it doesn't matter what culture you go to, um, you will find that term used, a virgin goddess um, and, uh, who has children. And the queen of heaven, that is the terminology used throughout all of it. Whether it's Artemis of the Greeks, whether it's, um, oh, what a, I'm not going to be able to think of all their names. Even into the Asians, uh, among the Hindus, they all have them. And the term queen of heaven and mother, the mother goddess. And that, uh, that is usually associated with the moon and that includes um, uh, some of the Canaanite gods, goddesses. And so we find that they had isolated her. We still have that term being used today. And just because you took a picture of, of a Greek goddess and replaced it with some character that you have fashioned out of the Bible that isn't really who she is, um, and call her the Queen of Heaven, Mary, the mother of our Lord, 
uh, where the Bible never elevates her, never puts her in that role, never communicates to us to pray to her uh, or for her or expect anything from her or expect her to, she is not the mediator between us and God. She does not have that role. And we put our mouth right where the mouths of Israel were at. We are going to make a vow to the queen of heaven. We are making, are declared with our mouth, our loyalty to her. And so when you hear people praying, hail who? With their little beads, hail Mary. Hail Mary. Hail Mary. Hail Mary. We are no different than Israel in Egypt and Israel in Jerusalem worshiping the queen of heaven and it is not of God. It is antithesis to it. And you can surround it with as much biblical terminology as you want and it still exposes the fact that you are worshiping not God but a woman. A harlot who is a false god. Name her what you will. And if you think that this is just me saying this, I've, I share with this in the past, I share with it in my book, um, I'm on a tour bus in Greece or Turkey. I'm on a tour bus. It has to be in Turkey. Hearing a tour guide who is not a believer say, well, the Greeks had this goddess, the Romans had this goddess, and we now have Mary, and they're all the same. We just changed the names. They're all the same goddess. And they're, I'm like, did he really say that? He knows, the world knows, that there is no difference. So don't detach yourself too much from what's coming out of their mouth. What they have done is taken a vow that they're going to go back and worship the Queen of Heaven. They're going to go back to that worship, and notice Whose mouths are being engaged primarily and it is the women's, it is the wives. And with the permission of their husbands, their husbands, and by the way, husbands, if you're not taking an active role in leading your home spiritually, shame on you. And these men knew better and they simply said, well, that's religion is the woman's side. Wrong. There's no woman's side. You're called to lead that home, period, in every capacity. That's what leadership is. And you don't subjugate that on any region or aspect of life. Raising the children isn't woman's work. She'll raise the kids and take care of religion. I'll pay the bills and work and decide about physical things. God's watching, and he has a different expectation of your leadership in your home. So here the men are just going to sit back, and the wives are going to open their mouths, and they're going to say, we have made a vow that we are going to return full-blown to the queen of heaven. We are going to give her worship. We are going to pour out drink offerings to her. We are going to give her our full allegiance. Our husbands know it, and they aren't going to stop us. And so we are going to give it all out. And we have opened our mouths and made this vow. 
And that's the last straw. Because vows matter to God. You make a deal with the devil, God is listening. You make a stupid vow off the top of your head because you want something for your liking today, God listened and takes it seriously. You vow the vow, no matter what entity it is to, God holds you to it. They have vowed themselves. They've opened their mouth. Remember, first they took their little feet down to Egypt, started working their hands, what was evil, building it, using their mind to justify it and to rework history so they could blame God. And then they opened their mouths and made a vow to worship the Queen of Heaven. You say, why is that so important? They were just worshiping him, but they had taken a vow that they would never stop worshiping the Queen of Heaven ever again. God said, I heard that vow. What does it matter that God hears your vow? Because as soon as you vow that vow, he holds you to it and puts you in a place of unredeemable sin. As soon as he heard that vow, he was done. And look at it. Look with me. Verse 23. Well, let's start in verse 22. So the Lord could no longer bear it. Because of the evil of your doings, because of the abomination you committed, therefore your land is desolate, astonishment, a curse without inhabitants. Because you have burned incense, and because you have sinned against the Lord, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, or walked in his law, his statutes, or his testimonies, therefore this catastrophe has happened to you as at this day. Moreover, Jeremiah said to all the people and to all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who are in the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You and your mouths have spoken, your wives, sorry. You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out our drink offering to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. You vowed to do evil, and God says, Fine. If that's how committed you are, then you are going to do evil. Which means that there is no way I'm going to draw you out of it. All that is left for you is for me to destroy you. That's all that's left. I, I'm not going to try to save you. I'm not going to try to deliver you. I'm not going to... In fact, Jeremiah's done. This is his last word. You will find him no longer saying anything to anyone in Israel. His last word. You vow that you will worship the God False gods of this world, the queen of heaven, you make that vow, you open your mouth and say that at this point, after I have done so much and sent so many with the truth, and you open your mouth and you curse God and say, I'm going to vow myself, I'm going to follow with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, this false god, God says, fine, then you're going to do it. I'm going to make you keep that vow. And he says, I'm not going to let a single one of your men open his mouth and say, the Lord God is the living God. And when you get to that point, there is no hope. You are in a state of spiritual despair. You are destined for destruction. Therefore, you opened your mouth, 
and vowed your life away, now listen to me, I'm going to open my mouth. And here comes God opening up his mouth. You ready for this? He's going to swear too. You swore that you would only worship the queen of heaven. You're going to go after those gods. You're going to chase after them. God says, fine, I'm going to shut your mouth and you can't ever call on me again. Can you imagine how frightening that is? You cannot call on me ever again. I've just shut the door and locked it. You will never access me again. Pray all you want. It'll never work. And now, I'm going to open my mouth. You open your mouth, I'm going to open mine. Here it comes. <laughs> Verse 26, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. All Judah and all dwell in the land of Egypt, behold, I have sworn by my great name. You swear by the queen of heaven, I'm swearing by myself. For there is none greater no more. My name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah and all land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God lives. Behold, I will watch over them for adversity, not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end to them. I'll save a little piece of you. I'll save a little sliver. Remember, this is the sliver already. <laughs> We're paring down. We've already had a big chunk of Jerusalem of Judah destroyed in Jerusalem. We're down to the remnant and now he's saying that I'm going to only let a sliver of the remnant get back to the land and apparently it's some of those that didn't. But everyone who opened their mouth and made this vow, none of them are going to be saved. All of them are going to be destroyed. They're not going to be able to be able to even ask God for help. There is no hope for them. This is what happened to Jerusalem. This is what now has happened to the people in Egypt and it is what happens during the time of God's wrath. There is no relief. You won't even be able to say the Lord God lives. You will only be able to open your mouth and curse God. This is exactly how God describes the days after his coming. In the seven years of the outpouring of his wrath, when people will open their mouth knowing that God is judging them, knowing that this is coming from heaven, and none of them are going to open their mouth and say, the Lord God lives. You know what they're going to open their mouth and say? Curse God. We're going to curse God. We're going to curse God. Read the Revelation. See how men respond to the trumpet judgments, how they respond to the bold judgments, how they respond to the seven thunders. They curse God every way along. They curse him because they cannot declare the Lord God lives anymore because the day of salvation is lost. They have made the vow, they have opened their mouth to live for themselves, for the gods of this world, for the puny and significant things they built with their own hands. And God says, fine, you want to live for them? Live for them. I'm shutting myself off from you. And when that happens, you have no hope. You are lost forever. None can deliver you. There is no life even offered. You can't even say the words, the Lord God lives. He is that far from you. 
How did it all start? Be careful, little feet, where you go. Sing it. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. For the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little brain, what you think. Oh, be careful, little brain, what you think. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little brain, what you think. Be careful. Because if we're not careful, we can very quickly become in the condition of Israel where we have given ourselves over to the gods of this age. And God will cut himself off from us and say, you won't even be able to say my name for life. I will close your mouth when God opens his with judgment. It is no mistake that when we get to the judgment, there will be no argument. What do they come? They come, Lord, Lord. And the response is, I don't know who you are. That's what happened to these Israelites. Even if they at the end, as the Babylonians were coming, as they watching Egypt melt away before Nebuchadnezzar's army, and they saw the famine and the, and the sword coming upon them, even at that point, if they had even turned and said, Lord, Lord, the response would have been, I don't know you. Because you opened your mouth and took a vow to something that you had fashioned with your own hands an evil idol because you walked away from the place of blessing to the land of Egypt. You weren't careful to keep with every member of your body the word of the Lord. And the end is death. The end is hopelessness. The end is desolation, a curse. This is the last you will hear. The last thing you will hear out of Jeremiah chronologically 
is verse 29. This shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, in the hand of his enemies, in the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. And that's the last they will hear from Jeremiah. Because they vowed the vow. God said, I have no more reason to preach to you. You've given yourself so completely over to this false goddess, I'm not even going to send any more preachers. This is it. Do you see any hope at the end of this? None. For there is no hope. For they have walked the walk away from God. They have worked the work with their hands of evil. They have opened their mouths and vowed themselves to the gods of this age. And God was listening, watching all along the way. And he says, I can no longer bear it. Oh, consider our ways. Be careful. For there is an end to what God will bear, even among his people. There is an end to what he will put up with. He will only tolerate so much. But there is a small number. I've skipped verse 28 on purpose. I want to close with it. Yet a small number who escaped the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, and all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to dwell there. Notice, they shall know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. This little sliver of the little remnant that's left are going to go back in the land of Judah and they're going to know, <laughs> our, whether they're parents or whether they're peers, they open their mouths and they vowed themselves to the queen of heaven and what stupidity, what evil. They're gone. But God, when he opened his mouth, that word stood. And what he said would happen, happened. Because he is the living God. God says will happen, is going to happen. You can't stop it, I can't stop it, nor can we hurry it. The question is, are you going to be with him? As one of his children, following his ways, walking in obedience, using your hands for his work, your mind for meditating on his thoughts, your eyes to gaze upon his truth and holiness and that which is right. And like David said, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes, which pretty much means you can't turn on anything electronic anymore. Are we going to open our mouths and declare his praise? Are we going to open our ears and just listen to what the world has to say and block out the truth and sleep through sermons? Because those things don't titillate us in our ears. Be careful. For that road is a road where God says, I'm done talking to you. And I did not offer you hope at the end. And I'm done. There's no more sermons. 
one day, God will say, I can stand it no longer. And there will be no more. But not today. You've heard the truth today. Be careful. Walk in his truth. Love it. Work. Think. Listen. Watch. Speak. For the Lord, God, lives. He is watching, listening to all of it. Give yourself wholly to him. Lest the last word of God in your life be comparable to the last word to these of Judah and Egypt, which just says, I'm going to be against you, the balance of your days. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we... Know that there is a attraction to the things of this world. To start to listen to them, to see the world, and to start thinking about it as though you do not exist, as though you are not alive, that you are not watching. Lord, it is easy for us in the private moments to even speak some horrific things that betray a heart that is stoned cold against you. Lord, our prayer is that you might convict. We might, while there is still opportunity, while you are still bearing with us to consider our ways, to be careful, to be responsive. Lord, help us to open our mouths to speak what is good, to glorify your name, and, oh, Lord, that we would not only open our mouth once, but open it as we've sung to begin this service for a thousand tongues to sing your praise. We might lay hold of every opportunity to open our mouth, every breath that you give us to praise you, to remind ourselves that you are alone, the God that lives, and therefore you alone give life. And Lord, we do thank you for your spirit and your people to remind us as we are reminded today to be careful. Our hands, our feet, our ears, our eyes, our mouths, our brains, our hands. To employ all the resources you give us to your service, to your glory, honor, and praise. We praise things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.